This episode of Storylines is brought to you by Department 9 Studios, home of Department 9 Entertainment, Music, and Digital. Department 9 Studios produces film, television, music, and interactive digital media in the heart of Edmonton. They support creative people with state-of-the-art equipment from their multifaceted studio. Learn more by visiting their website, dept9studios.com. Department 9 Studios. Creativity starts here. Welcome to Storylines, a podcast brought to you by WIFTA, Women in Film and Television, Alberta. I'm your host, Sheena Rossiter. On this week's episode... I really wanted this career. I have friends that say you're so lucky because you're in the career that you wanted to do. We're in conversation with business affairs consultant Michelle Wong. What I really like about the film industry is it's the challenge of taking a creative idea to try to articulate a creative venture. It's not easy to do. Michelle's career in film and television hasn't been linear. She started out as a high school teacher, but made the jump to film after going to a national film board meetup in Edmonton in the early 90s. This led her to make her first documentary, Return Home, in 1992. And I realized then that my grandparents weren't going to be around forever. I had to go back home. I didn't know what to expect, but I knew that this time would be different. Michelle honed her skills through the learning by doing method. After joining a local production company, she made the jump into scripted production in the 90s when she and her business partner at the time helped to expand production services for television movies in Alberta. It was then that she learned her real strength was on the business affairs side of the film industry. Over the years, she helped build two production companies into successful ventures, and she's now head of business affairs at 724 Films in Calgary, the production company behind the hit series Winona Earp. So for all you Earpers out there, you'll want to stay tuned to hear more insights on that. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Sheena. Your background is very different. It's very untraditional background. How did you get started in the film industry? Take us through that. You know, I've always actually been interested in the film industry. When I was young, I always went to the movie theaters. I really loved watching movies. When I got older, I watched television. And actually, in my yearbook, there's a statement that says that I wanted to conceive and write a TV show and work in the film industry. That's in my grade 12 yearbook. In terms of getting into the industry, it was a little bit of a side venture for me. I ended up going to the University of Alberta and going into the Faculty of Education as a drama major. And I went through the process of uh, having that experience, which is awesome, just so that I could get into the university screenwriting course (laughs) that I couldn't get to until my fourth year. And they were interested in my staying to work on a screenwriting degree and instead I was like well I have this degree as a teacher I have to go out and teach taught for three years in different towns in northern Alberta and I decided in my last year of teaching which was the third year that I needed more for myself in terms of a creative person I like teaching but I knew I wanted more and so I decided to walk away from a job and I don't think my parents are very happy about that but I moved to Calgary and I, I rented a small apartment in the top part of a house 
And it was there that I approached the film cooperatives in Calgary, the film cooperatives. So I went to the Calgary Society of Independent Filmmakers and I decided that I wanted to learn by doing. It was there that I started to meet other filmmakers and began volunteering on their films and, and just started learning by doing. That's a very different trajectory than most people take. But when you went from being a teacher, how did your family and your friends react? Taking education, that was an easy, palatable way for my parents to understand what I was doing because they're Asian. And of course, there is the idea that Asian parents want their children to be doctors and lawyers and accountants and that kind of thing. And here I was really having a passion for the arts. And even when I was at the U of A, I wouldn't say that there were a lot of Asians that I would encounter within the faculty. But when I announced it, (laughs) my colleagues, my teacher colleagues were kind of shocked and they were sort of kind of poo-pooing it and going, oh, well, what are you going to do now if you don't teach? And I said, well, I've heard about this place called the National Film Board in Montreal, and I think I'm going to go there. And I distinctly remember the conversation in the staff room where this one And she really scoffed at me. And for me, I think what it was was just having a sense. And I would look back and say maybe it was a vision, maybe it wasn't. But basically, I did have a great experience of meeting up socially with a friend in Edmonton who invited me to a kind of a meet and greet at the National Film Board Northwest office, which is where I met Bonnie Thompson and Graydon McRae, who I call my film father and film mother, (laughs) because they actually were really welcoming and helped me kind of make the steps. And I'd already had a project in mind that I wanted to film, which was the history of my grandparents' lives, like a young Chinese-Canadian woman looking at her family history, but not from textbooks, but from within. Hi, Wu. Which is something I never really did before, right? I I grew up with different levels of internalized racism for myself, so I wasn't very in in tune with being, you know, Chinese, Canadian. I was more like trying to be a Canadian, trying to fit in, buying into all the stereotypes and stuff. So for me, it was a, a huge education to go to Montreal. I spent three and a half years there at the National Film Board, uh, training at Studio D, which is the women's studio. So, of course, there, you're referring to your 1992 documentary called Return Home. What was the process like in making that film? Can you take us back to working on that? The idea for Return Home was quite organic. After going to the media arts organizations and having the experience at NFB, and from that experience, I also, concurrently, my grandfather had almost like a heart attack or a stroke in the process of my getting ready to go out to St. Paul to film. In 1990, my grandfather had fallen seriously ill, and I realized then that my grandparents weren't going to be around forever. And I wanted to get to know them. I had to go back home. I didn't know what to expect, but I knew that this time would be different. Which made the purpose of doing it even greater, and it actually be becomes a plot point within the film. I took the money that I raised. There's a couple people that I met when I was at SAIT volunteering on one of their films. And for three weekends, we would drive from Calgary to St. Paul, which is about five hours away. And we would shoot on the weekends, and I would interview my grandparents (laughs) and then drive back to Calgary. Well, you know, it was really intense. So I had two people helping, which were just friends as PAs. And we would make that journey up there. And we were shooting on 16-millimeter film. 
So it was important to do. From that experience, I shot enough footage to create a rough cut. And then the National Film Board had a program for women of color to learn about filmmaking. It was called New Initiatives in Film. In the second year that I applied, I brought a rough cut of the film with me and I showed it to them and they were so impressed that I went ahead and did this because I had applied the year before and they said no. And they said, you know, if you're willing to come to Montreal, we'll train you, we'll teach you how to make a film. And so I was in Montreal for three and a half years finishing Return Home. So that bootstrapping, how did that really help you give a strong introduction into how challenging but rewarding the film and television industry is? It's very interesting because I would say that everyone's path into the film industry is different. I'm sharing my experience, but you know, now we don't have a Studio D. We don't have the same programs that are set up to help women of color advance. There are other initiatives that are happening right now. But at that time, that was the path that I took. I also applied to the Canada Council and got money towards my film. So I think it was just being passionate, being smart, trying to be smart, trying to learn, being very open to helping others so that those others could then educate me because I was so new. I think that I was very fortunate to meet a lot of mentors along the way. I was quite unconscious about being Chinese. Like my whole film was a vehicle and that's what I learned as a filmmaker. Films can be vehicles for your own personal growth. And that's what it was for me, to learn about what it was to be Chinese, to actually deconstruct all of these institutionalized ideas I had about my own cultural background. At the time, it was the first film made by a Chinese Canadian. How important is representation? <laughs> How important is representation? I think it's extremely important. I realized at the time that I was part of a movement in the 90s of many people of color getting involved with the medium of film and television and video. It, it was exciting to be part of that movement because really from a prairie perspective, there's, you know, I get to say a handful of us that have created work. And definitely I looked around and I would speak on panels or even mentor other filmmakers, there is a kind of a, thank goodness you exist. Like, oh my God, you exist. You've made films. You've had a career for over 25 years. Like, you know, it's inspiring for other people of color to be able to see that, but also I'm very accessible. And that's a tribute to the experience I had from other female filmmakers that mentored me. So the Asian population is still very underrepresented in the screen industry. For the next generation, do things like Kim's Convenience and uh, The Farewell, Aquafina winning a Golden Globe for her role in that film, Lulu Wang being a strong female director on that as well, and also actors like Sandra Oh, uh, does that help representation for this generation and also the next generation that's up and coming? It helps see themselves reflected in front of and behind the camera? Absolutely. The thing about maybe other cultural groups is there is a high demand and expectation from parents to succeed and to choose careers in which they feel like you're going to succeed financially because it's not that they don't like the arts, they just know that the kind of revenue that you can generate from being in the arts is not easy. Walking away from a good paying job as a teacher when I was 25 years old was maybe not the wisest 
overall choice, but for me, <laughs> right? But for me as a creative person, as a person now that's had a, a long and I'd say successful career within the film and television industry, I don't know that I would have been as happy personally to have stayed a teacher. I knew I needed more for myself. And so even though our parents want us to do things that might be more wise, I myself have followed my own, I guess, North Star around being a creative person. And I definitely find creativity within my job. For me, I find it quite fulfilling because I have an interesting mixture of numbers and writing and creative. And I want to help people ultimately, and I want projects to succeed. And how does it feel to be a decision maker, to have that position? In terms of my decision making, and this is the thing that I learned from when you're young and you get into film, everyone thinks you're supposed to be a director. And there's a big push for that, writer-director. And then you produce because you have to produce. But it was in my 30s that I realized that I was trying to put myself into an expectation that didn't make sense because I had skills that went beyond that. And I love directing when the story moves me to the point where I'm going to make the kind of effort that it takes for me to really succeed in in a film that I want to direct. I know now at my age that I have a gift and I'm really good at what I do and I get to choose who benefits from that. So whether it's a filmmaker that contacts me that I want to help, whether it's a company that needs a kick-ass business affairs person to push a huge amount of paper in a short amount of time, that's the decision making I get. So it's, it's interesting that you say that about kind of putting a square peg into a round hole, everybody wanting to be a director. But there is a lot of creativity in what you do as a decision maker and working in business affairs. Is it, you know, sort of in this career that the art is the directing, but also there's a lot of creativity in making these business deals and, and making the idea possible and the impossible possible? What I really like about the film industry is it's the challenge of taking a creative idea, an intangible, a feeling sometimes, an image, a concept from your mind, articulating it out to a group of people that may or may not understand what you're saying to try to articulate a creative venture. It's not easy to do. Like I can look at a budget and have a really good idea about the production. I can look at the script and have a really good idea about the production. Our job is to translate that script and the needs through a, a breakdown into a budget. And that budget is just another form of the script, right? Except it's numbers and people and costs based on what the script is saying. And then, of course, it goes down from there, right? Like, how do you finance that film? How do you find the money? Like, that's a creative thing. It's not just check, 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 we're going to get it done. It's like every film that gets reduced has a different path. In fact, there is a lot of creativity out there from people that are trying to finance films in ways that other people have never thought of. One project that you work on at 724 that is very creative in coming from script to screen is Winona Earp. For, for people who don't know what the series is about, can you just tell us a little bit about what the series is about, first of all? Well, Winona Earp is a series that is based on a comic book from IDW, Ideas and Design Works, and it basically tells the story of the great-great-great-granddaughter of Wyatt Earp. 
And there actually is a historical reference to Wyatt Earp making his way through Alberta on his way into the Yukon. Some kids inherit money. Others get talent. Me? <laughs> I got a demon-killing gun. Crazy runs in the family. Wyatt Earp christened that gun peacemaker. There is a path there, but the particular project got developed at 724. What's interesting about it is there is a really powerful fan group they call themselves the Erpers, and they're an incredibly passionate group. We're very fortunate to have a showrunner, Emily Andrus, who uh, worked on Lost Girls. So she understands the power of women's stories and the LGBTQ community. And that definitely is a strong character and storyline within the Winona series. These Erpers are worldwide. They are basically responsible for the existence of the Winona series. After the first season that it was produced, they weren't sure if season two was going to happen. The Erpers rallied around the series and basically kind of like almost confronted IDW and said, we love the series, you can't let it die. And the publisher was really touched by that gesture. And even for the recent Winona 4, a very similar thing happened where IDW was in a position where they were thinking about they they liked the series, but still it was it came down to economics and the Erpers basically rallied and they bought billboards on Times Square. And they would state things like, You better do what you should, you know, like you you better do what you know is right or we're gonna get you kind of thing. And really it was all within the tone and tenor of the series. The Erpers are so powerful that that the series won a People's Choice Award in the third season. Yeah, we have basically five projects at 724. So we, we have Heartland. It's actually Canada's longest running one hour drama show program. Winona, as you mentioned. We also produce Jan, the half hour comedy series with Jan Arden and a company out of Toronto. We're involved with a series for CBC called Fortunate Son. And that's based on one of the our founders, Tom Cox, his experiences as an American coming into Canada to draft dodge, basically. There's a thematic uh, link there. And then we're also involved with a project that has been in development for a while, over, over five years, and it's called Family Law. And it's currently shooting in Vancouver because it's set in Vancouver. It deals with a woman who is an alcoholic and she's trying to get her career back on track and she has to basically have an internship at a law firm and the only firm that will take her is the one run by her father who remarried and has two children that are also lawyers. Throughout your 25-year career here, obviously many twists and turns. You went from being a documentary producer, director, writer, and now you're doing more business affairs on scripted series. For people who do work in documentary, what's that jump like to get into scripted? Clearly, it's not impossible. Is it just chipping away at your career slowly and learning and challenging yourself along the way? Is that advice you would give to people? When people ask me if I imagined a career in the industry, I get to say yes, I actually did. When I left that job teaching, the principal asked me if I wanted a sabbatical because he wanted me to come back. And I'd only been there for two years. And I said, you know what, I appreciate that gesture a lot, but I, I don't. I want to do that. I want to free fall. Like, I want to take the risk and not have something to come back to. 
I really wanted this career. I have friends that say you're so lucky because you're in the career that you wanted to do. And I find it so interesting, so fascinating. It's always moving. It's always changing. It's always interesting to me. I hope to remain in this career until I, I don't know, I can't see, until I can't, I can't figure out the technology until I, I don't know, until I start forgetting things. Um, I really want to stay in this as long as I can because I'm, I'm still learning and still having so much fun. I'm Michelle Wong, and these are my three tips for starting out in the industry. Number one, volunteer and be part of the film community. This is an industry of connections and who knows who. Volunteer to help on an indie film or join your local media arts cooperative. Word of mouth is the strongest reference. Number two, be humble and keep an open mind. The film and TV industry is always evolving and changing. Keep humble and have your mind open to learning. Today's production assistant can become the president of a large company. Number three, know yourself. Be honest about who you are, and this will help you choose the right job for yourself. If you're an extrovert, you might find it a challenge to sit 12 to 14 hours a day in a dark editing suite by yourself for months on end. Choose the occupation that best suits your character. Not everyone is meant to be a director. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in to Episode 3 of Storylines. Storylines is a women in film and television Alberta production that's made possible with the generous support from Alberta's Ministry of Culture, Multiculturalism, and Status of Women. Special thanks to Fava for its support on this production. Thanks very much to this week's guest, Michelle Wong. The show's executive producers are Elise Graham, Ava Carvinen, Samantha Quantz, and Teresa Winnick. Shanna Giles is our associate producer and social media coordinator. The original storyline's theme is composed by Aaron Macri and Laura Rabode. And I'm your host, senior producer and audio technician, Sheena Rossiter. Make sure you tune in every week to catch the latest Storylines episode, where you can hear interviews and get tips from leading women in film and television. You can check us out and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, follow your Storylines. We can't wait to see where they lead. Mm-hmm.